Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. What's up, everybody? It's the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. I'm Anthony Cazenza, and kind of a special episode. We've got some announcements later, and I am, I don't know if jet lagged is the right term, but I am, uh, I've been in multiple time zones today, John Sheeran, and I'm, I'm trying to play catch up. I can't promise how great my internet service is going to be here and, and or the sound quality because I'm streaming from a hotel room. In Middle America, in in Chicago, I'm in downtown Chicago, but I'm I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be talking Cincinnati Bengals. And John, we're talking about Bengals' first preseason game of 2022, the first game played since the Super Bowl. It's kind of crazy, man. It's been a not a long off season, I guess, shorter compared to everyone since 1989 or something like that. But yeah, a lot of <laughs> a lot of a lot has happened. A lot has happened just. In the last two weeks, and had I known you'd be in Chicago, I probably would have met you halfway, man. We could have done this like a live show. Damn, we, not, yeah. Oh man, it's not too often I, you're you're in the Midwest. I, yeah, I know. I've got uh, unfortunately, I'm only here for a little bit, but I, I've got Michael Jordan's steakhouse down in the lobby of my hotel below. I don't. I, I'm thinking about hitting that up. There's some other places I'm, I'm thinking about hitting, but I did. I did hit the second half of a Cubs game. I know Cubs aren't necessarily the most favorite team of. A lot of folks in Cincinnati, but that's okay. Uh, still got to see the classic Wrigley Field. I'd never been there, and that was kind of cool. So um, doing my thing, and then, of course, doing the podcast thing and uh, bringing you all some coverage uh, with myself and John. And, of course, via Cincy Jungle, you got to keep it to cincyjungle.com for all your news, opinions, analysis, podcasts, etc. We've got some great announcements that we're going to be dropping towards the end of the show there. So you're going to want to stick with that. And before we get to kind of news notes, and then of course, previewing the, the first game with the Cincinnati Bengals, John, I want to kind of remind folks, because in case you didn't know, we have a fundraiser that we have kicked off with the Pollock family foundation, of course, named after the Bengals outside linebacker and college football hall of fame player, David Pollock, former Georgia Bulldog and current ESPN college football analyst, the Pollock family foundation. You can go to give, slash Pollock family foundation. You can see here, we've got a lofty goal here and it's because they're trying to do a number of different things. They have begun to kind of rebrand the Pollock family foundation where it was kind of about, uh, you know, family wellness and, 
how to avoid, you know, potential childhood, childhood obesity, diabetes, all that kind of stuff. And now they've done other things because the foundation has been involved with the Children's Hospital of Atlanta, uh, been involved with at-risk mothers, been involved with at-risk children. And so we are teaming up with them and they're trying to put on a big Christmas concert as well as continuing to do all this kind of stuff in their, their, their region there. Um, and, and of course, across the U.S. So Please, 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 if you have not already, please give to the Pollock Family Foundation. Um, recently, John, this the stories that we wrote up on David Pollock were profiled on SB Nation's home site, the SB Nation NFL home site, as well as the Falcoholic, which, by the way, I love the Cincy Jungle name, but the Falcoholic is just, that is a, a phenomenal. Oh my gosh, it is just a fantastic name. Um, it, it profiled there, and then of course on Cincy Jungle, we have prizes and and everything. But if you listen to the interview, if you listen to our show in general, it just uh, you know this is not money that's going to go to John and I. Everything's going here to the Pollock Family Foundation. If you leave a YouTube super chat, anything like that, it all helps. Um, we're going to play this out for a little while here. We do have prizes, and we're going to unveil some of those in the very near future here. But we just want to continue to promote what we're doing here, this fundraiser that we're doing on behalf of the Pollock Family Foundation. Yeah, lofty goals, but for very worthy causes. Uh, and, and even if we don't hit our goal, every single one of those dollars count because they're going to great causes and just great things that they are doing. So if you haven't already, like Anthony said, please uh, consider donating if you can. Please do. And, um, you know, we've got a lot of opportunities for you to be involved with that. But, um, man, it's just uh, they do a lot of great work and we just want to support them. And they're in the midst of growing that foundation, and we want to try and support them in that. So if you can, givesendgo.com slash Pollock Family Foundation. And of course, in general, if you want to listen to our podcast, if you want to listen to the other great shows on the Cincy Jungle Podcast Network, which include Matt Minnick's Chalk Talk and Coach Speak episodes, a little bit of an announcement later on that, as well as Bengal Jim and Friends and our show, The Orange and Black Insider, all of which are on the Cincy Jungle podcast channel through your favorite audio streamer. And that's iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all of those. We are there. And then, of course, um, you know, if you like the video stuff, you got to like the Cincy Jungle Facebook Facebook page. You got to give a follow to the Cincy Jungle uh, Twitter account, as well as uh, give us a subscribe and a uh, bell notification on the YouTube channel. You can click that beneath John there on the SB Nation logo, the, the, the Cincy Jungle logo there. If you click that, there is a uh, an OBI logo there. You can click that and get going there. So we appreciate all of the support. John, let's kick it off. Um, before we get to preseason game number one, a little bit of news and notes. Um, we'll talk about the stadium in just a second, but just some happenings around Camp Lael Collins is back. Zach Taylor has a game plan, so to speak, for preseason game number one. I guess that'll be the segue into the preview of the game, but just some news and notes going into camp here. Lael Collins and more. Yeah, so Lael Collins today was cleared to practice. He had passed his physical. He was placed on the active non-football injury list on July 23rd, right before training camp began, because, as we all know, his back flared up sometime in the offseason. I think it was actually in July when he first noticed uh, something because he was practicing OTAs. So he missed about two weeks worth of camp, but now he's back. And much like Alex Kappa, when he returned off the, the pup list, he's not going to be back right away, just like T. Higgins is. Like, they're 
working on the rehab field or they're just being integrated through walkthroughs and uh, the individual drills. So that's the case for Collins right now. It was his first day in pads today, but he wasn't working with the rest of the offensive line when they went into 11 on 11. So he's not ready for contact yet, or they're just not going to put him in those situations just yet. So obviously he will not be playing. And I believe Anthony that leaves just maybe I think Brandon Wilson and Joe Bocci left on the pup list, unless I'm forgetting one, one more person. Cause I believe Khalid Kareem was also cleared from, from the pup list earlier this week. Brandon, um, excuse me, Samaje Pirine And like I said, Alex Kappa were also cleared about a couple weeks ago. So Bengals are getting healthier rather than uh, more injured as the, preseason approaches but yeah very interesting comments made from zach taylor uh today regarding friday's preseason game where basically no starter who is like a clear favored starter on the on the death chart is going to play friday and i don't i'm a little interested by this because like brandon allen has been practicing with the ones like with every other starter so it's not too common that no starter gets to play in the first preseason game. It's usually like a drive or two at least for at least that first game just to get them some action. But I do wonder if because it's Brandon Allen, a quarterback and he's usually with the twos. And if Joe Burrow was healthy, you know, Brandon Allen would just be playing with the second string in practice. I do wonder honestly, if this means that Joe Burrow is probably returning to practice sometime next week. And this is an opportunity just for Brandon Allen to practice with the guys that he's going to practice with going forward. Maybe I'm reading a little bit too into that, but I, I do think it's interesting that basically none of like the clear cut uh, favorite starters are going to be playing Friday. It, it That's what it seems. And again, this is the entire for, I mean, there was a lot of, elements to the formula of success last year where the Bengals made the Super Bowl. I mean, there's obviously the young players maturing quicker, quicker than possible uh, than, than expected Joe Burrow coming back from that knee injury uh, more efficient and quickly than a lot of people anticipated. And then of course there was just the overall health of the roster, right? I mean, it just, that, that was kind of the big deal. And, and then I think it was Paul Daner jr of the athletic who had profiled a story a few months back. And we've talked about it a couple of times on the show where, you know, there was a method to that madness in terms of the team staying healthier, where it was summer, it was into the fall and into the winter where they were just easing back on practices for, for their starters and certain players and guys that had nicks and whatnot that were going on. And they just said, Hey, we're not going to push it. We're, we're going to rest you. We're going to make sure that everything's taken care of. They revamped the athletic. Uh, it was the athletic training and the, um, you know, uh, the, the recovery staff and whatnot. So all of that is kind of playing into this. But of course, too, John, I know a lot of people where they, they you kind of roll your eyes where you go, oh, OK, preseason, uh, who are you going to see play part of this process, though? This this roster is very settled in a lot of areas and settled towards the top of a lot of areas. So when you, if you're irritated or if you're kind of like, Oh, I mean, what are we really going to watch in this game? Zach has a, again, a method to the madness here where it's like, you know, a lot of this roster is largely settled between free agency over the last couple of years, between our draft classes being settled. We need to figure out wide receiver four and beyond. We need to figure out uh, really beyond Hayden Hurst, the tight end position, 
we need to figure out some of the backup offensive linemen, starting left guard position, who's going to rotate. I mean, so there, there is a little bit. I know it's not the, the sexiest approach or headline to preseason, but it's kind of like this is a little bit what preseason's about. Like you got to fill out your roster. You got to find the depth. You got to find the players that that make the most sense as you go into the season. I think that was very telling when the first unofficial quote unquote death chart was released. And we all know that that is put together, not by any coaches. It's basically put together by someone in like the media department. And it's very cookie cutter, right? Like a, a, like a fan could put that together just based off of what like the Madden ratings would be for each position. But the, for this year, it was, I think, more accurate than it's been in recent years because you're right. It's the, the roster is pretty much set. Like there's not a ton of battles going on. And what you see there on the depth chart is basically what what you're getting from the roster in general. For so many years, you've specifically had the offensive line uh, rotating in and out guys competing for for starting jobs. And really, it's just one spot right now that's up for grabs. And even so, like Jackson Carmen has not been really giving much ground to Cordo Volson in training camp. We haven't heard a ton from Volson in training camp, but Carmen is still technically in the in the competition. They still want to see more from him, which is why he's going to be one of the few guys that's practicing with the first team right now, playing a significant amount or just playing at all in Friday's game. And the same kind of goes for Dax Hill. I know we had someone in the comments saying, uh, how long can Jesse Bates hold out and remain a day one starter? Well, Jesse Bates, he's going to start whenever he, he comes back. He's too good. He's too valuable to keep on the bench for a, a rookie, albeit a first-round rookie, but a rookie in general. And Dax Hill needs all the reps that he can get. Uh, so just in case, if Jesse Bates hold out prolongs into the regular season, he'll be ready to go. But then there's like the Joseph Osai aspect to it, right? Osai played a decent amount of the first preseason game last year, and he got hurt. There was a lot of backlash from that, whether or not they should have left him in for that long. And maybe that's a dance that they're going to have to play with Dax Hill here. But, you know, it's really just him and not a whole lot of other guys at the safety spot w- without Bates. So, you're looking at Jackson Carmen, Joseph Asai, and Dax Hill as potentially the main contributors with, with the regular season, with the opening 53-man roster, play a decent amount into this game for just various reasons. Because, again, Carmen not guaranteed to start at all. We could see a late development here from Cordell Volson towards the later parts of training camp and the preseason. Dax Hill has been doing a lot of work, not only at free safety, but also at slot cornerback. He's been matched up. With Jamar Chase a decent amount and other receivers well, a little bit on the line of scrimmage, maybe that's more of what his role is going to be going forward into the regular season. And Joseph Asai, who's going to be that you know that, that first edge rusher off the bench, the guy they, they sorely missed last year, just getting him reps going forth into the regular season. That's very important. I thought it was really interesting, Anthony, when he was asked about uh, Zach Taylor was asked about Joseph Asai. He said, yeah, we're going to you know, manage his snaps and monitor his, his overall playing time. We're going to let the younger guys kind of fill in. Joseph Asai is like the third youngest player on the roster, even though he's a second-year player on the team. Like, there's only Young. Like, Dax I mean, Hill. it's like, yeah. hello. <laughs> Dax Hill, Delonte Hood, and I, I, he might be the third, actually. The, I, I, I'm not 100% sure what Shamari Jones' age is, but he's 22, and Asai is 22. Like he's he needs like the experience. He needs the reps. Obviously, he's coming off of that torn meniscus, and they don't want to overplay him like they did last year. But like having him have like actual live reps for the first time in a year, that's important. That's a you know I, I we we've talked about the youth of Jamar Chase, 
talked about the youth of Jackson Carmen. We haven't really talked about the age of Joseph Osai. And that really, that that draft class, that 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 the the top picks that headline that draft class. I mean, you look at that, it's it's youth, youth, youth. And then, of course, Osai was kind of a long-term. Of course, if you paid long uh, immediate dividends, you'd be like, hey, awesome. But that was a long-term project there. They, they, they knew that going into it. Um, you know, they figured Chase, even with the year off, was going was gonna to pay immediate dividends. And then, of course, Carmen was a little bit of a long play as well. If he starts right away, great on an offensive line that needed some immediate help. But if not, then he was kind of a long play. But the, you bring up Osai's age, and that's something we haven't talked about here in terms of that draft class because now you, you look at that there and what you, what you got out of Chase, what you're hoping to get out of Carmen, and now what you're continuing to hope to get out of Osai based on one game of preseason last year, um, that youth, I, I don't know, man. I, it's just – we, we we're we're sitting here going well. I mean, how good can Osai be? Well, he's one. He was one of the youngest players on the team last year, and now here we go again. Still a young player coming off of an injury, and one that they feel that can contribute, even coming off of this injury, and probably early on here, and one that they probably need to contribute at least on a rotational basis going forward. Yeah, I mean, there there's a good case where you could just list him kind of as a as a de facto starter because he's I think. In an ideal world, he plays 25, 30 snaps, maybe even closer to 40 during the regular season, especially in those games when they're playing the Josh Allens, the the Lamar Jacksons, the Patrick Mahomeses of the world, when it, it could potentially come down to a shootout situation and you need fresh legs at pass rusher. I think with Osai's case, like, yeah, I think his role going forward is pretty set, but there's a reality where a guy like Jeff Gunter kind of digs into some of those snaps and opportunities because... Anthony, for all we've heard in the last like week or so, I feel like it's been specifically in the last week of practice, it's been Jeff Gunter, Jeff Gunter, Jeff Gunter, the seventh round pick from from this year's class. Yeah, was like the two hundred fifty second pick. He's been disruptive on, uh, with the second team, albeit again against backup tackles, and they've been really uh, thin at tackle uh, overall in training camp without Lel Collins. So he's going up against the likes of Isaiah Prince and Devin Cochran at left and right tackle, but. Like this is the opportunity. This is the stage for a guy like Gunter to really make his mark. And we've talked about it last week. There's Chris Carter, Chris Sims, Darius Hodge. There's always someone that really pops off for the Bengals at edge rusher. And Gunter seems to be more healthy than a guy like White Hubert, who I believe missed a couple of practices here and there. So Gunter's going to play a ton on Friday. I'll, again, he's fighting for that roster spot, so he needs all the reps that he can get. Even though he's been impressive in training camp, and maybe fans want to not play him as much just to preserve him for the regular season. His spot is not 100% solidified, even though he has been pressing. It really does matter what he does here uh, in the preseason starting Friday. And then on offensive line, unfortunately, Deontay Smith is not going to be playing in this game. He, I believe, suffered a back injury over the weekend. He hasn't been practicing. He's listed as day-to-day, but they're not going to, to rush it. Regardless, he should still feel pretty safe because they just don't have a ton of true tackles on the roster. I believe only two are going to be playing Friday because Jonah Williams and Lil Collins are not. You got Isaiah Prince probably at right tackle and the college free agent and Devin Cochran at left tackle. And maybe you have a guy like Hakeem Adeniji kind of kick out the tackle towards the later parts of the game. But even then, he's going to be filling in a guard for some of the game too. So how they manage those guys at offensive line without any of the starters playing, I'm going to be really interested in that. 
I will as well. And again, I know <laughs> based on where the off seasons have, have begun the last handful of years between COVID Joe Burrow's knee injury. And of course now his appendectomy, you want to see Joe, you want to see this, the stars, you want to see these players, but you want them healthy. I mean, yeah, you want them ready to go, but you want them healthy. You want them, uh, you know, not, you want them rested. You want them not nicked up as you enter the, the regular season. And again, I, I, I go back to the idea of you're going to want to find out what you have with players like a Jeffrey Gunter, like uh, a Zachary Carter, right? These are the guys that need to go up against starters or fringe starters or twos or whatever, and not be in the game in the fourth quarter of the first preseason game where you're going up against guys that are not potentially going to make a roster or are grinding for a practice squad spot, what have you. You need to see these guys against starting caliber or potentially starting caliber type of players and really gauge where you're, where you're at with things. We talked about this last week, John, you need to find out where the defensive line is because there are a lot of late picks. There are a lot of undrafted free agents and whatnot, but there are a lot of exciting players in that group aside from Osai, Sam Hubbard and, and you know, Hendrickson, et cetera. You've got a group of guys over the, that you've accumulated over the past couple of years that you need to figure out, Hey, these, you know, this group, who has what it takes to make plays on a rotational basis in regular season games, late in the year, bad weather, whatever the case may be, you got to be able to gauge that. And week one, early in week one, and of course, week two, week three, but these are the types, these are the types of situations and scenarios that you want to put these players in that. And, you know, that that you can hopefully make a gauge on what they're going to do if they're on the active roster. I'm glad you mentioned Carter. I forgot to bring him up. It seems like he's been mainly at, you know, three technique over the B gap at defensive tackle. But I believe he has been kind of going back and forth between the inside and the outside. But obviously him being third round pick, the only true backup at defensive tackle to, to BJ Hill, I think. You know him getting these reps to see what he's made of as a pass rusher. I think that's very important. But of course, we cannot forget the all-important punter battle. So we have both Kevin Huber and Drew Chrisman who are going to be trading blows there when the offense is in what like twenty fourth down situations in the first preseason game. That, that's always a fun time. But you have both Kevin Huber and Chrisman. I don't know who's going to be out there first. Not only punting, receiving long snaps from both Clark Harris and Cal Adamitis but also as a holder. You know, I, I would imagine in, in this situation, they're not going to be going for it a lot on fourth down just to give opportunities for both punters to punt, but also to hold for Evan McPherson. They don't really have, they don't have a backup kicker, so it's going to be McPherson out there, but I'm sure he's going to be rotating between uh, Huber and Chrisman as his holder. And obviously there's chemistry between the battery of Harris and Huber holding for McPherson. I'm interested to see how that gets uh, intermixed because I know that they've been switching on and off, like who's the holder and who's the and who's the long snapper, and not really keeping the same groupings and whatnot. But I would imagine it's still going to be Harris and Huber out there mm -hmm. first, just to establish something. But even if it's like fourth and one at like the the ten yard line, I really do think they're just going to kick the field goal just to give those guys as many opportunities to hold and look good doing it. 
Yeah. Yeah, and it, <laughs> it's one of those things, too, where situational football in the preseason kind of sort of goes out the window. I mean, like, yeah. you see a lot more, like, aggressive go for it on fourth, fourth down and, you know, like you said, going for field goals when you're like, well, you're you're down. Why, why, you know, so, again, it's all a gauge of the players you're trying to read, giving them time and finding out what they're able to do in real game time situations before we get to a little bit more. And we've got some questions in the live chats here uh, about what to look for players to watch and everything with the first preseason game here, John, um, the Cincinnati Bengals made it a little bit of an announcement as it goes. They teased it. They teased it a little bit of an announcement with their stadium. Support for this show comes from Sylvan learning as a parent. You want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Gone is the moniker, Paul Brown Stadium. And now it is Paycor. Paycor Field? Paycor Stadium. Paycor is now the Paycor Stadium. Yeah, I mean, uh, okay. So Paycor Stadium. In Cincinnati, there is no Paycor Stadium at Paul Brown, you know, Paycor Field at Paul Brown Stadium. There's not, uh, Paul Brown's name is not really associated with the stadium anymore. Um, and we we talked about this a, a week or so ago where we were like, hey, you know, I think maybe Paul Brown is going to be associated somewhere else and everything, given the history there. Not the case, but uh, Paycor Stadium now, the new moniker of the Bengals' home field going with the white tiger helmets and everything that they've recently unveiled. What do you think, man? I mean, what, what, do you, what do you think about all this and what it means for the Bengals going forward? So let's start with the Paul Brown aspect of this because um, me and the puppets are just one puppet this week. Talked to none other than Emily Parker, who's the director of communications for the Bengals. We I talked to her, saw yeah, we talked to her stuff. yesterday and I asked her if that, if keeping Paul Brown's name in the name was ever part of the conversation or if it was something that, you know, Paycor wasn't really uh, down with and it was just kind of thrown out in the, in the negotiations. But she said it herself that they wanted a clear identity of the stadium name. So it was never really a thought to put Paul Brown Stadium at Paycor Field or vice versa or, or whatever. Right. So it was always going to be just like whatever company they decided to uh, sell the naming rights to stadium or whatever. So Paycor is actually located right next to my old apartment in Norwood. 
they are an HR. So it's your rate. fault. That's what you're saying. Basically, yeah. I passed that building so many times <laughs> in the last two years uh, driving home. But, I mean, it's a very nice building. I'll, I'll give them that. I, I knew nothing about the company. I still barely know anything about the company. I know that they manage, like, payroll and, and like, HR or something like that. Uh, what they do doesn't really matter. Yep. They're a Cincinnati-based company. They just went public about a year ago. They're valued somewhere in the in the billions of dollars or something. I think their IPO sold for like 456 million. So they got they got the dough. They got a little bit more dough than Skyline, which is why Skyline didn't end up uh, ma- making it to the negotiation tables to put their name on the stadium. So Paycor Field or Paycor Stadium, I guess it kind of flows off the tongue a little bit, bit better than some of these other brands and sponsors and whatnot. But Anthony, I feel like there's there's been a a, cons- a clear consensus type message here from Zach Taylor, from Mike Brown, even from Emily herself, and that how this move will make them more competitive going forward in the NFL. Like they're not even hiding the fact that this is really just about gaining another revenue stream to get more cash on hand to include guaranteed money in some of these contracts that they're going to have to do. Like it's not even like, oh, you know, we we decided to just partner up with the Cincinnati-based company just because we're trying to get ahead. No, it's like, they're doing this for the money, basically, and there's, and there's nothing wrong with that. I just, I just find it kind of interesting how they're just basically saying, like, it, it out loud, like this is for, you know, paying players modern NFL contracts. Like, like they can't get away with ten million dollars signing bonuses and and no guaranteed salaries here and there. Like, this is to add more revenue, uh, more cash flow into their revenue stream. And I don't, again, I don't know how much this is going to impact just the first two years of this deal when Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase are up for extensions because we don't know the financial details yet but if they're getting a ton of money up front then that would definitely help them in the negotiations for sure yeah look I've said this a couple of times Um, I'm a a little bit of a historian slash traditionalist like I like that but obviously with history and traditions there are also some things that you either want to erase or not cling to or whatever you know Paul Brown and his impact on football, his impact on the Browns, the Bengals, everything, uh, it can't be denied. So obviously you want to cling to the history there, but there is something to be said about going the way of the Buffalo. And I don't mean the Buffalo Bills. I just mean going the way of what you need to do to be a competitive and or uh, contender franchise in the NFL today. And, I don't like that Paul Brown's name Paul is is out of the stadium name. I always found that kind of cool that all of these commercial, you know, stadium deals that it, there were all these companies and, you know, the Bengals just kind of held held strong to that. But when you talk about what you just talked about and retaining certain players and having an additional revenue stream and everything else that comes with the renaming rights of the stadium, you kind of say, you know, you just got to gotta bite the bullet a little bit. And, you know, if you want to do something, you've already done something with the Ring of Honor with Paul Brown. If you want to do something separate, whether it's with the practice field, I've heard some people talk about, hey, build a statue of Paul Brown. Hey, that's cool. I like that. You know what? If that money goes to Joe Burrow and the Bengals are winning Super Bowls and or going to the playoffs and winning playoff games annually with Joe Burrow, you know, because of the money that comes in part from a deal like this, it's kind of like, well, you know, use that money also for a statue for for the current quarterback as well, if that's how it, how how things end up going. I 
I mean, I, I joke a little bit, but I mean, this is this is kind of one of the things that you need to do. And when you are a kind of smaller, quote unquote, smaller market team, these are the things that you need to kind of cling to in terms of, hey, you know, we've got big contracts coming up. The salary cap is going to balloon over the next couple of years. These are the things we need to look at. So I don't I don't like the, the old school guy in me doesn't like the. Paul Brown name not being associated with the stadium, but I like the forward thinking because this is one of the things that needs to be done for the team and for the betterment of the team and overall the betterment of the fan base, because they're going to, this is money you would think is going to kind of go to a number of different things, but potentially, you know, players and whatnot. Yeah. To me, like the, the most brash way I can look at this is that one of the last longstanding socialists in the NFL just gone to, to capitalism and Mike Brown. Like he's just lived off of revenue sharing for the entirety of, of his ownership. And now he's utilizing an appreciation of the asset that he owns, which is the stadium and the team in general. And he's selling that for money. And if that's the way that they can, you know, finish these deals and actually get players to agree to them. Like I'm sure Jesse Bates is a little upset that the Bengals don't have a little bit more cash that they can put in escrow for his deal. But <laughs> that that waters under that bridge already. Um, as far as the Paul Brown thing goes, yeah, I think a statue yeah. could could be in the works. I, I don't know, but his his legacy name and everything is still very prevalent in the stadium. Like it's in the Ring of Honor. It's literally seen every time you watch an All Twenty Two clip because it goes to that to the game clock on the stadium. It's right next to Anthony Munoz and Ken Riley. Uh, there's the, a quote of his in the locker room. Players pass by it every every single day that they're there. Uh, the conference room where players sign contracts, that's called the Paul Brown conference room. I think Mo Egger made a good point, though, on, on ESPN 1530. The Bengals have done a great job of honoring and keeping Paul Brown's legacy alive, and the NFL itself has not because the, there is no award named that's after Paul Brown. A great point. Yeah, like, and I'm totally stealing like Mo's case here, but like, the NFL needs to do a better job of keeping Paul Brown's name alive. And it shouldn't just be up to the Bengals, the team that he founded to do that. Like what, whatever you can do to, I guess, offset this taking his name down off the stadium. I think the NFL would be in a great uh, state of mind to actually do something like that. But you know, the Bengals have done their part by keeping his name on the stadium for 22 years, but yeah, it, it was definitely time to make this move. I mean, there's the Lamar hunt trophy. I mean, there's all this stuff. With, within and rightfully so, but you look at what the NFL has and has not done in terms of honoring Paul Brown. And uh, I, I think it was on my honestly, my personal fake Facebook page. Uh, Mike Donahue, great, great follow on Twitter and great Bengals fan. And he's he's been a longtime listener to basically anything that we have done on Cincy Jungle, avid reader, and just a great guy. Um, he had kind of tagged me on something on Facebook that I had written in 2015. And that it was a football life documentary that was finally done on Paul Brown. Um, and oddly enough, it's like, oh, let's do it when the Bengals are 8-0 or whatever <laughs> in 2015. It's like, oh, that was convenient. But I, I just, it's not about what I wrote. It was about just recapping because what I did is I just kind of regurgitated a lot of stuff, honestly, that was talked about in this show. And you had Bill Belichick talking. I mean, all these people that are like, this guy is like the one of the architects of past football and modern football, really. And so I, I, I 
when when you talk about it was it was Mo Egger you talked about with um, you know the Bengals have done a good job honoring Paul Brown, but the NFL has not. That's that's where my my problem is, and I guess that's where I cling to with the name of the stadium because it's like you know that's a guy that just needs more. You know, there's all the talk about Al Davis. There's all and rightfully so. All of these figureheads in NFL history, but he is one that. Even though he's kind of on that Mount Rushmore, he's still kind of in the in the silhouette or the shadows of a lot of these other guys. And it's like, you know, that's this is a person you need to talk about. And so that's that's kind of why a little bit I cling to the name of the stadium. But uh, I, I understand it from a business and financial standpoint. So you got to do what you got to do. And I think, like you said, Paul Brown himself and mike brown said it he's like hey i think my father my father would understand what we're trying to do here um so i think he would understand it as well but i i, st- I just hope that there is an additional way again like with ken anderson ken riley etc that it, it brings awareness to someone who was so important to the nfl and somehow he gets additionally honored or just continues to be recognized for everything that he did well i mean if there's any consolation, I feel like a good portion of the fan base will continue to call it Paul Brown Stadium. And I feel like a good portion of just general NFL fans, well, yeah, will, will also continue to call it Paul Brown Stadium. And it doesn't really matter what you call it. Like, they're not, like, there's there's no penalty against calling it Paul Brown Stadium. But, yeah, like that, I feel like that name will, will continue, not Paul Brown's name, but Paul Brown Stadium, that will continue to live on. But now they're just getting some some needed cash in their pockets. For sure. Let's move on before we get to a remember when and some announcements. We're going to talk just a little bit here about the Bengals' first preseason game here. We talked a little bit about game plan and what we expect to see and whatnot. Um, who are you most excited to, to watch this this weekend, John, given that we know that there's not going to be a lot of starters, if any at all, really, across the board that are going to play? I mean, who are you most excited to watch get some time get some plays and i mean look let's just preface it obviously the goal of the preseason of course it's to gauge and get depth and round out your roster the gauge of the preseason is stay freaking healthy we know that right so we you know that's goal one but some of the players you are most looking at this week as the Bengals take the field for their first preseason game I think it's pretty cool that the first and second round pick, uh, Dax Hill and Cam Taylor Britt are going to be playing at the same time, kind of in the same unit. Taylor Britt's going to be the cornerback uh, starting in place of either Eli Apple or, or Chidabe Wuzie. I'm interested to see what he's paired with on the other side, but you know, Dax has gotten obviously all the reps at safety, and I feel like we should continue to reiterate this. He, he hasn't been like a natural safety in a minute. He was mainly a nickel slot cornerback at Michigan. He's, he's used to playing close to the line. So he's been, for the last few months, been playing more in space and playing in, in these deeper zones. And it's not like he's completely foreign to that, but this has still been, I think, somewhat of an adjustment for him uh, coming off those high school days when he was a safety. And then Taylor Britt, who you know has had his moments here and there, but there's also been, he's going up against T. Higgins and Jamar Chase, and there's going to be some L's mixed in there too. So this is his you know chance to really be a starter for the first time just to see both those guys drafted first, you know, being like the future leaders of the secondary. I'm interested to see what they can do against. I don't I have no idea like what the Cardinals are going to do. If they're going to play 
uh, Kyler Murray. This would be a great time, I should just say, it, to just play the Cardinals in the regular season because they just have a ton <laughs> of things going on right now. Um, I don't know if AJ Green is going to play either. I don't know if he's if he's healthy or if he's just going to oh, play yeah. at all. But Good I think point. this is I think this is his return. to Parbron, excuse me, to Paycor Stadium. Uh, <laughs> he left so yeah maybe we get some taylor Britt versus aj green because i don't think deandre hopkins is healthy enough to return or maybe he's not going to play that much but i'm excited to see the rookies in the secondary back to back comments here we'll get to in just a second but yes dax hill and i think the emphasis on dax hill given the jesse bates situation and the role and everything with how that's going to be designated that's going to be interesting to watch of course camp taylor Britt, we've got a soft spot for him because he yeah. gave us some great time a few weeks ago. But also, just in general, I think a lot of us really like that pick, and the Bengals opened some eyes in moving up in the second round to get a player like that. So, you know, I think there's some 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 high expectations there. But I'm going to go and do a little low-hanging fruit thanks to a couple of back-to-back Facebook comments from Seabird, Chris Evans, and then, of course, Samaj P. Ryan. Um, look, uh, I mean, what's going on with the backup running? You know Joe Mixon's going to get a lot of carries. You know he's going to get a lot of snaps. Chris Evans and, and Samaj P. Ryan, you would almost assume that the roles maybe this year would be flipped. And it's not an indictment on P. Ryan necessarily. I know a lot of people are still sour about a couple of plays he did not make. But you got to look at a, a few plays he did make. You can go back to the Chiefs game in the AFC Championship. I mean, he's he's been just a solid player as a backup guy for the most part but what chris evans brings is that geo bernard dynamic maybe can give you some kick return ability line him up in the slot line him up in the backfield do some different things we talked about what who's wide receiver four maybe that's chris evans wide receiver four wide receiver five in some packages and you have mixing in the mix also I don't know. I'm I, I'm just excited about the running back group. We know obviously what Mixon's going to give you. You know who what P Ryan the backup is going to give you. But what is Chris Evans with a higher volume of carries potentially going to give you? Yeah, and I think Evans right now is the favorite to be the starting kick returner for Week One because Brandon Wilson hasn't been healthy. He's still on the pup list, so he's been getting predominantly the main work at kick returner. And then you have Trent Taylor and Kwame Lasseter handling pump returner duties obviously you know seeing what Lasseter can do see if he can have an Alex Erickson type rookie preseason that obviously Erickson won the won the job when he was a rookie and he supplanted Brandon Tate and I feel like that's a similar dynamic right now because they have trust in Trent Taylor to just you know receive the punt not Darius Phillips it against the 49ers get the ball back to the offense and maybe Lasseter is going to be looking for more chances but also uh, showing that he has that same consistency to his game Kendrick Pryor has really been making a lot of waves at wide receiver as you know the annual receiver to make a lot of splash plays. He hasn't exactly been Damian Willis out there, but I feel like of all the like the seven or eight undrafted free agent receivers on the roster right now, he's probably been making the most noise as part of the second team. Um, but yeah, like I, I, I am interested to see how how much Chris Evans is being used there in the backfield and, and to see if that role kind of evolves. We thank you to. Um, um, we have a comment saying that Kyler Murray did, yes, he did actually contract uh, COVID-19 pretty recently, so he will not play along with Colt McCoy. Anthony, do you know who is starting a quarterback for the Arizona Cardinals? He, I'll give you a hint. I, he used to be in the AFC North as a quarterback. Ooh, let's see. 
Well, hmm. used to be in the AFC North. Uh, it's not a great hint, I'll be honest. <laughs> okay. Um, I, I, I don't know. Um, Big 10 is player. It, is it a little, little uh, small? Not Tyrod. No. Okay, I don't know. Trace McSorley. Trace McSorley. Woo! Yeah. That is a that is a name. Woo. Former backup of Lamar Jackson. That's uh that's Penn State action right there, is mm-hmm. it not? Yep. Yeah. Trace McSorley. Wow. Okay. Well, um there's there's Michaela giving us the the, the update there that we should have probably brought to the show, but that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Thank you, Michaela. We appreciate that. Um no, I, it, again, I mean, there are a lot of there are a lot of spots to watch. Um, and again, with with starters kind of being at a premium or snaps being at a premium for starters, you know, you kind of go, well, OK, who, who should we watch here? But given if you were to say, given reports from camp, things you saw at camp because you went to, uh, you know, you went to camp there and uh, potential openings or snap availability in these preseason games. Who are you seeing? You know, we we're talking about the first two draft picks, and you know, all, all kinds of different positions. I mean, are you seeing or predicting someone like a Kwame Lassiter or someone on the defensive line in that edge rush group, interior lineman group? I don't know. I mean, who are you expecting to be like? You know, not expecting, but if these back end guys are getting a lot of snaps, who are you looking at saying, you know? That's a guy I, I kind of feel like is gonna gonna make a name for himself. Yeah, I think Laster probably has the best case just because he has the best clear cut opportunity. Um, Tariquius Tisdale, I believe I'm saying his name right. Um, he's kind of flown under the radar. I believe he was like kind of in the news a little bit during OTAs, but we haven't really heard a ton about him through training camp. But again, the the depth of defensive tackle and five technique really is very minimal. Like they're still kind of easing back Tyler Shelvin from injury. Like Josh Tupo is still a mainstay. You know, Zach Carter is going to make the team. He's going to get snaps. Uh, they they brought in a guy named uh, Dominique Davis at three technique as well. So they have seven defensive tackles. But Tisdale probably is the most unique in terms of his of his physical stature. He's built like one of those traditional four three Marvin Lewis defensive ends at like six five two ninety five thirty five inch arms. And he didn't really play that much at Ole Miss because he was injured a little bit. But I'm interested to see like him along with this defensive line as a whole because the Cardinals' offensive line, starting-wise, is not very good. So I can't imagine their backups are also very good either. So they're going to get chances to eat along with Jeff Gunter, along with Noah Spence, who is still here, along with Khalid Kareem, who may or may not play because he just returned from practice. But, I mean, Anthony, like Kareem because he didn't practice because guys like Gunter are making names for himself, he might be on the, on the bubble too. And he needs all the reps that he can get. Yeah. And that's the versatility of Kareem or the potential versatility of him, which is coming off the edge and maybe rushing inside on, on some obvious passing downs. I mean, those are some of the things that are going to get him on the roster. Obviously he had that gigantic play last year against the Denver Broncos that, I mean, really, I mean, I don't want to be overdramatic, but, I don't want to say changed the trajectory of the season, but really kind of it kind of did kept kind of kept things afloat at least. Yeah, I mean yeah. it really. I mean that play alone was just kind of like whoa. Uh, so you, you can't 
discount plays like that. And I remember Khalid Kareem last year in preseason before I think he, he suffered an injury. I want to say it was against the Dolphins. There was uh, on one of the opening series within three plays, he had a, uh, a, a quarterback pressure and another that led to an, uh, you know, an incompletion, a batted ball or something like that. So, I mean, he's, he's flashed when he's had the opportunities, it's him getting on the field. That's always kind of been the thing. And then of course you've got camp sample. Where do you play him? You've got Gunter, you've got Hubert, you've got all these guys here. So, so there is a log jam here, log jam at that, at that spot there. But, you know, obviously we can talk about, Hey, the Bengals won, the Bengals lost or what really in preseason, especially when you're a team coming off of a Super Bowl appearance, it's kind of like, I don't know if wins or losses really, indicate much but i mean what are you looking for them to achieve what are you looking for them whether it's early in the game whether it's late in the game i mean what 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 are some of the things where you go hey even if they lost this was a game where you can say mission accomplished well per usual the defense always looks good this time of year and i against tampa bay last year that was the first preseason game defense played really well there i think they had at least Two interceptions, uh, obviously Joseph Asai and Darius Hodge. They popped off against the, the Buccaneers' offensive line. It was, a, it was a great showing from them. And then you also had Brandon Allen at quarterback. So I think defensively, again, just generating consistent pressure against the backup offensive line. That should be the goal for literally every team in the NFL in the preseason. And in the secondary, like they've been hyped up a, a ton, um, w- w- at least with the starters. But I think in general, their defensive backs have been playing well. I think, you know, good communication, guys in the right spots, not necessarily coming out with three interceptions and and 10 passes defense, but just showing good communication, showing that, you know, you you work well in in tandem. Again, this is Dax Hill and Cam Taylor breaking to play a a ton together, but you also have guys like Tyson Anderson, Michael Thomas. The the battle at safety, I think, is interesting, too, because if Wilson comes back, that's five guys that can make the roster. Maybe Mike Thomas gets the boot. Maybe it's Brandon Wilson who gets the boot as well. So Anderson's showing out that that will help his case. Then you have backup cornerbacks like Trey uh, Trey Flowers. You know, he's been playing more on the boundary with some injuries. So I'm interested to see if he's there instead of more of his overhang uh, defender over the middle role. Jalen Davis, he's battling with some guys like Delonte Hood. Alan George, who... Get this, Anthony. He was the guy who played for Vanderbilt that had to guard Jamar Chase when Jamar Chase had like four <laughs> touchdowns. Yeah. Like I read that story from Charlie Goldsmith, and you guys should do that as well. But he was taking reps with the first team over Cam Taylor Britt earlier this week. So how much he plays and where he plays is going to be interesting. Delonte Hood has made some has made some plays in camp. So I I really think that the secondary is playing cohesively as a unit against the Cardinals passing attack that, again, is going to be led by Trace McSorley. Of all people, I think that's what I'm most looking forward to. Uh, I, I agree with you. A, a good comment, astute comment here by Robert Obrecht in our live YouTube chat. They should be winning situational football. That is my concern, stopping the run, solid tackling, and do big plays by the defense on offense. Don't want to see three and outs or penalties. Of course, it's kind of just the basics. Let's, let's move on here. I, I like what you said though, John, too, when it comes to the defense, because there are, there is no Jesse Bates. So what is a Jesse Bates less defense going to do with a Dax, you know, Dax Hill and others in there? What, what are they able to do? What are they not able to do? And, you know, this, there, there may be a little bit of a, an eye-opening moment or moments for the Bengals in this preseason where you go, wow, this is this is why you pay 
a guy like Jesse Bates because he can do certain things um, and whether or not Dex Hill will get there, is there, what what have you, um, you know, there, there may be some moments where you just go, this is just why you pay a guy like that. Um, so I, I think there's all of that. Of course, you want to see some some things from the offensive line, but we talked about this, John. It's going to be very difficult to gauge the offensive line given who they're going to reportedly trot out given the fact that the Bengals have not really had too much out of Leal Collins, Alex Kappa, their two big acquisitions of three on the offensive line. That offensive line still may be a work in progress, not because of now a lack of talent, but just time and cohesion yeah. and all of that. So I think we may see a little bit of a, oh man, there's still some rough stuff going on with the offensive line, but I think we got to roll with the punches a little bit and have a little patience with that. Well, of course. I mean, you just have a bunch of second stringers out there, um, maybe even against guys like J.J. Watt and Marcus Golden for a drive or two against the Cardinals. So you're going to have Carmen out there. He's going to be probably he's going to be the only day one starter out there. And that's assuming that Carmen beats out Volson for the end of the camp. But even with Volson, like we've we've heard nothing. It's been radio silent for him. And he was like the most hyped up player coming out of OTAs. He was going to be the guy that was already going to supplant Jackson Carmen. So I, I don't know what he is right now. We haven't really heard or seen a lot of him. I've heard some things about Ben Brown being at center. Um, and Lamont Galliard, who's still kicking it. He's been in multiple spots too. So I'm interested to see what that starting second string offensive line looks like. I'm assuming it's going to be, again, Devin Cochran at left tackle, Carmen left guard, Trey Hill at center, Hakeem Adenogy at right guard, and then Isaiah Prince at right tackle. Once those guys or most of those guys come off the field, you're probably going to have Volson at left guard, uh, Ben Brown maybe at center. Maybe that's when uh, Gayard come, Gaylord comes in at center maybe Gaylord is at right guard and Ben Brown is at center and, and Hakeem Adenogy goes at the right tackle because again they only have two tackles so how they rotate those guys is going to be interesting one of those guys I believe is probably going to have to play the whole game because they just don't have enough bodies at some of those spots but yeah it's going to be it's going to be kind of a mess 100% which is why they're going to run the ball a lot <laughs> they will and that's kind of part of what what happens here and that's why what I mentioned with P Ryan and, and Evans. And I think now that uh, Jacquez Patrick back, right. Um, he's, mm-hmm. he's back in the mix there too. So, uh, you know, you, you, <laughs> he's going to probably get a lot of work in this, in this preseason as well. And they liked him. They liked him. That poor guy going into 2020, didn't get a fair shake at preseason. He was, he was, you know, a guy they liked. And, and then obviously the next season they tried to give him a shot and, you know, they just had a lot of depth there. So uh, I, before we get to our remember when and get on out of here, John, I don't know, predictions. I don't, I don't even know if score predictions are apropos at this point right now with, with a game like this, but um, I don't know. You got anything predictions, wild, wild, I don't know, uh, wild ops. I, I don't know if observation is the right thing, but wild predictions, wild guesses. I don't know. Uh, you know what? Like that. Shout out Chris Hubbard. Thaddeus Moss catches a touchdown. Calling it. There you go. <laughs> if you called it, if you called it, that means it's happening, my friend. <laughs> yeah, I hope that, so. That's, that's all I got, though. <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. Yeah, you know, I. It's one. It's you know, look. Until there's going to be more starters playing, until there's going to be, you know, just more integration of the playbook a little bit. As and now that there's one less preseason game as there was last year. 
you're, you're just going to see a watered down product. That's just kind of the, the bottom line. You talked about more running and whatnot, and you're going to see the 21 to 16 scores. You're going to see the, you know, uh, 20 to 20 to 19, where you go for two and win it at the last minute type of, you know, you're going to see a lot of this stuff. I don't, I don't know necessarily that's going to be what, what happens here, but I'm not assuming a, a butt kick either way. I just, I, I think you're going to see something that's kind of a little bit of a, yeah, ugly score and teams are going to maybe go for two go for a field goal when you don't expect him and that's just kind of what comes with week one of the preseason and kind of what the preseason is now given everything and people are still going to tune in because it's the first Bengals game in, in six months i'm interested to see what the attendance is at paycor stadium i believe like 30k <laughs> was there at the, the back together saturday practice i'm interested yeah. to see if it's if it's more than that for this preseason game just because they're coming off of a Super Bowl appearance. So they're probably reeling in on the on the ticket sales for a meaningless game. So I'm interested to see how full that stadium is. Yeah. Um, all right, dude. Uh I, let's get to a remember when. I've got a little one. Uh, you know, we've we've gone back back and forth with these here a little bit. Um, speaking of preseason, speaking of week one of the preseason and speaking of training camp battles, all of that kind of stuff. I just want I, I was thinking today about God, I guess now it'd be 13 years ago, mm-hmm. uh, 2009 when the Bengals were first on hard knocks. Now the second one was kind of cool. Cause I mean, you kind of felt like, Hey, this is a team on the rise or do they, they surprised people a lot of, uh, you know, last year you had a lot of cool, you know, different people in the dynamic, but Oh nine was kind of uh, really, really interesting. And I want to remember when back to 2009, Carson Palmer was a mainstay and a, a focal point of this hard knock show, which uh, really wasn't kind of Carson Palmer's personality from what we know of it, but he kind of had some moments of levity and humor and whatnot. Obviously Ocho was a big part of it. Um, you had a lot of different battles though, John. I mean, you had, you know, some players that were just entrenched and guys that you, you had the Andre Smith contract impasse that was documented on the show, but I thought back to this and it's not, you know, the kiss the baby and, you know, child please and all that kind of stuff that Chad made popular by, by doing this here, here are a couple of, first of all, if you want to talk about the lack of Bengals popularity or whatnot, at one, this particular year of, of the show won two Emmys and it was the highest, highest rated version of the show to that point. And the show had been in existence, I think, uh, what, 2003, 2000, something like that. So, I mean, yeah. it had been in existence for a while. And I kind of felt like, number one, not only were the Bengals hitting their stride as a team, but the show uh, and the way they produced it and the way they did everything with it was kind of hitting its stride. But the thing that really stuck out with me were the, were the camp battles because, again, it was a team that you felt like, you know, you had Chad Johnson and Lavernius be a pro. Remember the eyeballs with, with, with that whole <laughs> locker room talk? You had Lavernius Coles in there. You had a lot of entrenched starters. The offensive line was in decent shape at that point, regardless of the Andre Smith situation. But you had a lot of running back battles. You had D.D. Dorsey. Remember that? You had a punt return and special teams battles. Quan Cosby, Tom Nelson, who, by the way, both of those guys made it. And I think D.D. Dorsey did as well. And then mm-hmm. the fullback was a prominent position. Um, who was it? Runnels. That was they, the Bengals got a lot of criticism with Lippincott knocking on uh, J.D. Runnels' door in the middle of the night and kind of saying, "Hey, get on the plane. You're out of here." And then you had 
Fui Vakapuna. Yes. And you had, you know, yes. Chris, Chris, Pres- Chris Presley. Remember, remember all these guys? Yeah. And you're like, damn, I, I wish that guy. I, how do we find places for all of these players? How do we find <laughs> roster spots for all of these guys? And they just couldn't do it, obviously. But it was like it, this time of year always rem- reminds me of Hard Knocks, of the Bengals' Hard Knocks stints, both of them. But namely this one. And I remember 09 because – you know, after 05, I think we just sat here for years going, damn, they were close in 06. 07 was just like, okay. And then, of course, oh, my gosh, I see it. I see it right here. Here it is, the haircut. Put it, put it up on Louis the screen. Vakapuna's that is haircut. a human being. There it is right there. <laughs> <laughs> the reverse mohawk. For those who grew up in my era and, and, the, and listened to music in the 1990s, this Remember the band Prodigy? You probably don't remember the band Prodigy. It was kind of a house techno alternative band. They kind of blended a lot of styles. They had a guy who had a reverse mohawk where he shaved the middle of his head and he had the other, the, It's he spiked it out. This is a little bit like that. The Fui Vakapuna rookie haircut. Oh my God. That, I, how did that guy live with that? Good God. <laughs> but I think that's, I, I think all of the things that you said is why this, that season was so intoxicating for just people who weren't Bengals fans and why it was so highly rated because the thing that people loved about a hard knocks, or at least in the, in the past few years, just in my recent memory, it's like, it's just about the stories. It's about the players that you don't know about. Like some of the earliest hard knocks is it was like the Ravens and the Cowboys and some of the best memories from yep. them. It's like the, the Shannon Sharp at the, at the, at the rookie dinner with, with like Ray Lewis or something. But with these guys, like, I, I, I forgot all, all about Chris Presley. I forgot all about Fui Vakapun. I'm so glad that you brought him back into my memory banks. But that's the whole that's the whole essence of Hard Knocks. It's seeing these guys that you've never heard of take on this grind for their livelihood. And I feel like this specific team, because no one really knew that much about the Bengals anyways, maybe still people don't know a lot about the Bengals at all. So it's just like, it's not just the stars aside from Chad Johnson were barely known. It's the guys that you've never heard of and you're just so entrenched with their lives and what they're going through with this team. And it was so interesting. Obviously, Chad kissed the baby, his conversation with Andrew Woodworth, that always gets played on the Hard Knocks channel or the NFL Films channel. And that's certainly a highlight. Be a pro is a phenomenal just Hall of Fame moment for the show. But yeah, like th- those names that you just mentioned, it's, it's a blast from the past. And just watching in real time was was so intoxicating to watch. And I think part of it also is how that season ended, not the playoff loss, but the fact that they made the playoffs. A lot of people didn't think they were going to make the playoffs. Carson Palmer had a number, a number of injuries. Again, you had guys like, you know, Chris Henry, Cedric Benson. It's just that you kind of romanticize the thing a little bit. And, you know, those those players, Vakapuna, Presley, et cetera, they were going up against Jeremy Johnson, who was a stud his first couple of years with the team when he was drafted. And then just weight issues and just, you know, hey, where are we at as a team? reassessing everything those guys were were pushing him for a spot so remember when the Bengals were on the 2009 hard knock series and all of the cast of character dd dorsey tom nelson quan cosby quan cosby was a personal favorite favorite i loved quan cosby but anyway that's my remember when john let's uh drop the mic and get out what do you got for us my friend i didn't really have anything but uh jason von stein in the comments section listed run p and that was also something that just- <laughs> Jordan Shipley should have been was wait that was Jordan Shipley right? It was but he Jordan wasn't there. Palmer. It was Jordan Palmer. It was Jordan Palmer for the longest time. I thought it was Shipley, but that didn't really make uh, any sense. Palmer. But wow, 
Yeah, like I, I legit use that app in, in movies, like j- just to see like when I don't think I ever really actually went to the bathroom, but like before I would see a movie, I would I would see like okay, when is the time when I could go to the bathroom? Ingenious idea that it at least lasted a decent amount for just a random app to start. It's a solid up. idea. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, again, I don't really have anything for my re- remember one. Just again, if you haven't already, visit our um, fundraiser with the David Pollock Foundation. We're a little bit ways from our goal, but again, every dollar counts. Even if we don't hit it, your money is going to a great cause. Great things are happening with them. Check it out if you haven't already. Absolutely. And we've got a little couple of announcements to make here, John, and we'll, we'll put this on the screen here. We've got a busy week next week. Um, we've got a busy week with a couple of big guests here, and one of which we are slated to have is Sam Hubbard. A yearly tradition, it seems, with yeah. Sam Hubbard. We always have him about this time of year, so we thank him for giving us some time here. And then, of course, we're, we're working on uh, locking up Solomon Wilcots. He was on our show a long time ago there, and a guy that was a great, great player, a great analyst with the NFL Network and CBS Sports, and now is on the locked, uh, not locked on Bengals, on the um, uh, Believe Believe in Bengals podcast with, of course, Pac-Man Jones and does a number of different things. So the Believe Network has also been a great to our show. Cam Rogers and the group there in the Believe in, in Believe in Bengals and Believe Podcast Network in general. Of course, you do great work with um, them as well, John, in the DNH Sports. They're part of the Believe in Bengals Network as well. So um, we're working on hammering that out, but it looks like both of those uh, special guests will be part of our week next week. Sam Hubbard making time for us and Solomon Wilcox, former Bengals defensive back, NFL analyst, and Believe in Bengals podcast host. Um, looking forward to that, man. That's that's going to be a great one. Do you think Sam like remembers us at this point? You know, like, I hope I so. Know. I mean, God, it's been like three or four years now. I, yeah. I he, you know what he's gonna do, right? We're gonna take, we're gonna see him beforehand. He's gonna be like, "Hey guys, good to see you again." You know, yep. and it's gonna be like, "Do you do, do you remember Sam? Do you actually remember?" <laughs> I hope so. I hope so. <laughs> I, I may, I may break out the arm brace again. Uh, yeah. Remember last year, I was t- talking to him about the arm brace. I don't, I don't know if I'll do that, but uh, I, I hope he does. I hope he does. I mean, God, it's been like I said, like probably since he was been a rookie that he's been on our show, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or yeah I, I think it went back to 2019 if it not if not i went back to 2020 i think the first two times were with Pretty Pepsi. Close. yeah yeah so you know he, he gets around he gets around on zoom so i'm happy to have him back on yeah it's gonna be gonna be awesome talking to him about a lot of different things as well as solomon wilcott so uh, you won't want to miss that we've got a lot of good stuff coming your way and again support the pollock family foundation how you can we've got a fundraiser up on givesendgo.com slash Pollock Family Foundation. We've got prizes for you. Uh we'll bribe you. I mean I'm not I'm not beneath I'm not beneath bribing you all to get some well I mean <laughs> legally bribing you legally legally bribing because this is for a nonprofit. This is for but I am not beneath incentivizing you to uh donate so please please do and give us your contact information if and when you do so that we we can enter you in drawings for certain prizes we got some great stuff coming up and we'll unveil all that stuff but we appreciate it john uh thanks for everything man hope you have a good rest of your week my friend you as well talk to you next week all right take care everybody (laughs) 